You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Hopefully kind of wrap this up here uh, this week where we're kind of talking about, again, just that challenge, that struggle of how do we live godly lives in a culture that just seems to be coming more and more ungodly. As we kind of confront the challenges of living in a very ungodly culture, how do we do that in in a way that really uh, reflects and it honors um, who Jesus Christ is uh, in our lives? And we kind of have been looking at some basic worldviews in life. We started at the very beginning kind of talking about hedonism, which again is just that desire for pleasure. Pleasure is all important. We're constantly seeking out the next, the greatest pleasure Pleasure uh, kind of consumes us. It becomes the focus, the goal, the purpose of our life. Then we kind of looked at materialism. That's where kind of possessions are all important. You know, the one who dies with the most toys wins, right? That's kind of that mentality of those who are locked into uh, that, that mindset, that focus of materialism. Then we kind of looked last week at self-expression, and we kind of talked about the ways that that kind of reveals itself uh, in in, uh, our lives uh, through individualism, you know, secularism, and narcissism, which again, when you kind of boil it all down, it's just kind of where life becomes all about me. My needs, my want, me, me, me. And I've said throughout the series, these are not new philosophies. These are not new ideas. These are not something that's never been encountered before. They have, and they've been dealt with uh, both through the word, through the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, God talks about this very philosophy that was very much alive even back in the days of Jesus, back in the days of the early church. And there we see this in 1 John uh, chapter 2, verse 16. And John says, for all that is in the world, and he talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, he says, that is not of the Father. But he says, that really is of the world. Now, I want you to understand what John identifies there when he talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He's talking about the three basic temptations Satan has been using since the history of mankind started with Adam and Eve, clear back there in the temptation in the Garden of Eden. As a matter of fact, it was so effective there in the Garden of Eden that the devil tries it again on Jesus when he's taken there to the wilderness to be tempted. And again, that key word, you know, in hedonism is to indulge, to kind of satisfy your, your flesh. And again, we, we see where the a devil says to Jesus, if you are the son of God, take these stones and make them bread. 
The key word in materialism, again, is increase. Get all you can and uh, can all you get. And there he says to Jesus, I will give you the kingdoms of this world. I'll give you all the materialism of this world and its glory if you'll fall down and worship me. And again, that key phrase in in self-expression, narcissism, again, it's all about me. I want to make myself look good. And you see that in the temptation where he says to Jesus, throw yourself down from this highest pinnacle. And the Father, he will keep your foot from uh, even having a scratch on it. And then, and then he kind of almost in, in, insinuates there. And just imagine how impressed all the people will be when they see what you have done. So how do you live in a world like that? Because again, nothing has changed. What we, what we see happening back there in the Garden of Eden, what we see happening to Jesus there in the wilderness, the enemy, he continues to use those same strategies here today. And today I want to kind of just give you kind of some strategies, some responses on how do we live in the world without becoming like the world The first way we effectively kind of live godly lives in a very ungodly culture is it all begins by loving God with all of our heart. Again, John says in 1 John 2, chapter 2, verse 15, he says, stop loving this evil world and all that it offers you. For when you love the world, you show that you do not have the love of the Father in you. Now it's important to be very clear about what John is saying here. He's simply saying this, do not love the world. Don't love the things that the world is trying to offer you, to entice you with. He's not saying don't love the people of the world. That's very different He's not saying don't be friendly to unbelievers. As a matter of fact, we see in John 3, 16, he says, for God so loved the world. That's the very world that he's talking about there in 1 John 2. For God so loved the world. God loves the world. Now, he doesn't love everything that's happening in the world. But again, despite whatever may be going on in the world, God is committed and he is focused to loving people. And as Christ's followers, we are called to love people in the world the same way that God loves people in the world. As a matter of fact, it's one of the things that Jesus came to do was to reveal the love of the Father. Now, what does the world mean here? When John talks about stop loving this evil world, he's talking about the world's values, He's talking about the value that says pleasure is everything. Power is everything. Possessions are everything. Position is everything. It's what we've talked about throughout the series. And John says, don't love the things the world loves. Don't value the things the world values. Because what the world values and what the kingdom of God values are oftentimes in direct opposition to one another. And he's being very, very clear here. And he's saying to us, be careful that you don't have divided loyalties. 
You can't love God and love what the world loves at the same time. He's saying these are mutually exclusive. And the point is, is that what God is after is he's after surrendered hearts, surrendered lives. He's after our allegiance to him. And he wants us to love him with all our heart. As a matter of fact, Jesus says in Matthew 22, he says the greatest commandment. He's asked, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said this, he said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. He said, this is the first and the greatest commandment. He said, a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now get this, he says, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based, or you could say, or are fulfilled, are satisfied on these two commandments. So he's saying to us, when you and I, when we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our strength, and then we love one another the way God loves us and we love ourselves, he said, you will satisfy, you will fulfill every commandment, you will fulfill every obligation of the law and of the prophets. See, you won't murder anyone when you're loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself. You'll never, you'll never steal from people when we're loving God the way he calls us to love him and to love one another. You won't commit adultery. I mean, you begin to go down through every commandment, everything the Bible calls us to live, to do, and to be. And if you're loving God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, loving your neighbor as yourself, he says, you'll fulfill it all. You will satisfy it. You will please. You will honor God in in all of that simply by doing those two things. Now, I mean, that's, that's pretty amazing. And oftentimes we kind of want to make following God or, you know, living for God, we want to make it really more difficult than it really is. And it's really quite simple. Loving him with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength and loving my neighbor as myself and I will be living a life that is honoring and pleasing to the Father. And again, you can take any and every scenario that comes at you in life and simply ask yourself this, how do I respond to this situation? How do I respond to this person in a way that is allowing me to love the Lord with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength, loving my neighbor as myself. And I believe if you will do that very thing that, that allows you to continue to love God, you'll never go wrong. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you this, maybe you're here this morning and you just kind of feel like, man, my life has gotten totally off track. I mean, I've gotten so distracted. I mean, pastor, when you talk about, you know, stop loving this evil world, I've been all about loving this evil world. I mean, I, I have been so distracted. I have gotten so sidelined in my walk with God, I don't even know what to do. I'll tell you what to do. 
It's what Jesus told us to do. No matter where you're at in your walk, no matter how far you've gotten sidetracked, no matter how much you've gotten distracted in your relationship with God, you're at a place now where you're kind of just realizing, man, I need to get back to the basics. I just need to kind of get my life, my relationship, my walk with God back on track. Pastor, what do I do? Very simple. Just love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, oftentimes we just kind of think like, you know, uh, that's too simple. God's not that kind. No, he really is that kind. And, And if I've said it once, I'm gonna say it a million times. Repentance is a good word. It's a great word. It's a glorious word. We know that because Paul says in Romans 2, 4, that it is the kindness of God that leads to repentance. You know what he's saying there? He says, repentance, it is a manifestation of God's kindness and goodness. That's why it's a good word. It's a great word. It's not a word that we've oftentimes taken and kind of made it into a word that's negative. It's, it's, a, it's a word of, you know, we're being punished when we repent. Not at all. When you repent, we're walking in the kindness and the goodness of God. So when we get off track in life, when we kind of lose our way, when we kind of forget, you know, what's, you know, God calling us to do, and oftentimes, again, we're looking for a lot of things. You know, well, maybe if I do this, or maybe I do that, or I do enough of this, or I I stop doing that. No, 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 no. Jesus just said, just get back to loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself and all of the other things will fall into place. See, oftentimes we wanna wanna do all the other things and we don't wanna love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We don't wanna love our neighbor as ourselves. And, And then we just kinda go from one thing to the next to the next and it can be biblical things but we're missing the main thing is that all things really need to be done in a spirit of love. See, I I can speak the truth, but if I'm not loving God with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength, Paul says in in 1 Corinthians 13 that what I'm saying to you, it's just gonna come across to you as a loud, clanging symbol. It's gonna be annoying, it's not gonna be helpful, and you're just gonna wish it would stop because I'm speaking truth, but I'm not doing it in love. So when we speak the truth, all the while we're loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, loving our neighbor as ourselves. that's the kind of love that will build up and edify. That's what Paul says, love edifies. So again, this is so key. It's one of my prayers for our congregation. If we do nothing else, that we will be committed to loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving our neighbor as ourselves. And I believe every desire, every hope, every purpose, every plan God has for the lives of this congregation, individually and collectively as a body, all of that will come to fruition and more. 
oftentimes we're, we're looking for, and even sometimes in the, in the Christian realm, we're valuing all the wrong things. So you can have signs, miracles, and wonders, and you can have that without love. And, and we know that because it talks about in the end times, even, you know, the, the son of perdition. We, we know that when the Antichrist comes, he is going to do signs, miracles, and wonders. Is he not? That's what the scripture says. So I know it is possible to have signs, miracles, and wonders without love. But I believe what we're after is we are after the signs, miracles, and wonders that are a manifestation of God's love, of his kindness, of his mercy, of his grace. We want to see the things of God happening that really reflect his true nature. And, and we do that by loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, loving our neighbor as ourselves. It's all got to come out of that. Because again, you can have... Um, you know, truth without love, and it's really not truth that's going to transform. You can have signs, miracles, and wonders, and really all it's going to do is just be kind of an, ex a, a, an exaltation, a self-exaltation of the flesh. So again, to me, this is key. And this is really what the world's looking for. They're not, they're not looking for a lot in terms of, you know, Christianity, what they're looking for is Jesus said that, that they will know you are my disciples by the way you love one another. It's really that simple. Yet we want to we wanna go out and, and we want to be able to, you know, be these great evangelists. We want to be able to go out and do all of these great things, but yet we don't really want to love people. And that's what the world's looking for. The world's looking for, can, can, can you really love me? Can you really accept me? And the reality is, if we can't do that here, how will we ever do that out there? So again, he's just calling us back to the basics. And the basics are loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Loving our neighbor as ourselves. Let me just skip over. I kind of went off on a different tangent there. Second way that we live godly lives is by developing strong convictions. The people who have made the greatest impacts with their lives on the world are people who live by their convictions rather than by their conveniences. The people who've made the greatest and the deepest impacts in the world were not always the smartest, the most educated, or the wealthiest people. They were usually the people with the deepest and the most steadfast convictions. There's that old saying, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And there's a lot to fall for today, is there not? And there's a whole lot more on the way. We need to develop strong convictions to counteract the growing pressures of culture. How many of you would agree there is great pressure in our culture to conform? Yeah. And there really is more and more on a daily basis 
to a large degree, the, the, the expectation of others determines how we dress, how we talk, how we act, what we eat, what we buy, how we spend our money, how we spend our time. We're constantly being bombarded by pressure from the culture around us. This morning as we were gathering uh, to pray this morning, I just really felt the Holy Spirit leading me to pray that we would really kind of break the fear of man off of ourselves, off of our congregation. So much that we do and so many things that we don't do, it all comes from this fear of man. What will people think? What will people say about me if I do this? And again, we're driven so much by that fear of man. Colossians 2.20 says this, with Christ you have died to the elements of this world. Then why do you let others dictate to you? There are many people who base their self-worth, their self-value on the opinion of other people. So many of us base our approval upon the approval we get from other people. I must be with worthwhile if, if people like me. If God accepts you, if God approves of you, if God is happy, if God is satisfied with you, let that be enough. If God likes me, if God loves me, if God accepts me, for who I am, that is all that should matter. That should be the number one thing that we're consumed with, that we're focused on. Romans 12, two says, don't let the world squeeze you into its own mold. I want you to know right now, the world is squeezing us. It's never gonna stop. It's never gonna let up. As a matter of fact, it's, at times, it's gonna get harder and harder and harder. That is the function of the world. That is what the enemy's trying to do. He's trying to squeeze you into the world's mold. But he says, let God remake you so your whole attitude of mind is changed. And that is not possible without God. There's no way we can do that on our own apart from our relationship, our walk with God. Now I want you to notice the word squeeze there. How many of you have ever felt squeezed by the world? You felt kind of pressured, you felt kind of pushed to go in a certain direction, pushed or formed or forced to kind of think a certain way. We've all experienced that kind of squeezing by the world. Have you ever done something that you, you know you shouldn't do, but you're gonna do anyway just to go along, to get along? There's a great example of this in the story Chariots of Fire. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. It's a great movie. It's an old movie, but it's based on a true story. And it's about two men who were training to run in the 1924 Olympics. And one of the men, uh, Eric uh, Little, I don't know if that's how he pronounces it, but uh, he incorporates his Christian faith into everything he does. Um, and even in his running, he was always using that as a way to honor the Lord. At some point in the storyline, the Prince of Wales and members of the Olympic Committee 
met with Eric, and they begin to apply this pressure, um, and they're, they're trying to convince him that it's okay uh, for him to set aside his, his Christian beliefs and run the race on the Sabbath. And, and he's living by this conviction that the Sabbath is holy. The Sabbath, that day, belongs to the Lord. It is a gift from God that God made the Sabbath for man and not man for the Sabbath. And so he has this set belief, this conviction that on the Sabbath, it was a day of rest. It was a day to rejuvenate. It was a day to focus on uh, his relationship with God in ways that the other six days would maybe not allow it. And yet, despite this great pressure to set aside his belief, the pressure brought about by these very powerful and very influential people, he stands very firm and unapologetic in his conviction to obey and to honor God. And again, these are just is an example of the many ways that the world wants to put pressure on. And, and Paul says, don't let the world do that to you. Because here's the thing, once they get away with it, they just keep doing it. Once you give into it, you'll just keep doing it. So he says, don't, don't live your life that way. Living for the approval of others is guaranteed stress and frustration. Because it'll never be enough. Once you satisfy their approval, they're just going to up the demand. I don't think it's by accident that America, probably the most image conscious culture in the world, is also the most stressed out. When you live for the approval of others, that is a stressful, frustrating situation to be in. Many years ago, my a sister and her family were planning on coming to Mason City, uh, they had young children, we had very young children um, at that time, and they were coming to visit us for the long holiday memorial weekend. Several weeks before they were to come, my sister called me and she's very upset because their son at that time was in a soccer league. And this particular soccer league decided for the first time in the history of the soccer league to schedule a soccer tournament over the entire um, Memorial Day weekend, Sunday included. Now the president of the soccer league, he just kind of decided that he was going to do this, um, didn't ask the parents, just went ahead and presumed that this would be fine, everyone would be on board with it. So during the course of the conversation, as my sister's just voicing her absolute frustration that, that they did this, um, I remember her saying to me, I don't know why they do this. And I simply responded back to her and said, because people allow them to. People like you go along with it. While my sister and many other families like her objected, they canceled their plans, stayed home, and participated in the tournament. Guess what happened next Memorial Day weekend? Guess what happened that 4th of July weekend? Guess what happened pretty much on every holiday weekend? They scheduled soccer tournaments. Why? They got away with it. Parents didn't like it. 
but they participated. That's all the coach wanted. He didn't care if they liked it. He just wanted to make sure they were there to play. They're there to play. It just reinforces, okay, this really isn't that important to them. People will only do what you let them do. Now, again, if a group of parents would have gotten together and said, we're not going to participate in this soccer tournament or in any soccer tournament that conflicts with a holiday weekend, this guy would have backed down, canceled the tournament, and never done it again. But when all the complaining gave way to compliance, no problem. And I see this kind of stuff all the time where it's not just parents. I mean, we we all do this in, in different ways where we're forced to choose between activities or church on Sunday morning. Never used to be that way, but it is now because we let it. And don't blame the world, okay? The world's only doing what the world knows to do. The world doesn't care about church. You think, you think the world cares about church or that, that they are, are thinking about Sunday mornings uh, differently than you? No, they, they don't care about that. The world's not going to value and honor your commitment to God. The world's not responsible to value and honor your commitment to God. You are. And if you want to convince others of the values of your conviction, there's only one way to do that, and that is live it. Live it. People talk a good talk, but really the proof in the pudding is living it out. John 2.17 said, the world and its desires will pass away. It has, and it's in the process of passing away. But he says, this world and all of its desires eventually will pass away, and the one who does God's will, the one who is obedient, the one who chooses to honor God, it says, that person lives forever. So he's just cautioning us, and he's just saying, hey, everything the world has to offer you, it's temporary. The things of God, they're eternal. And that's why he says, don't get focused, don't get caught up in the things of the world. You know, Paul says, don't, don't let your focus, don't let your, uh, your attention be on this world. Let your attention and focus be on things that are above. Because the things on earth are temporary. The things of God are eternal. The third way that we live uh, godly lives in this culture is influence others for good. Rather than being influenced, the third strategy in getting um, on in the world is to influence others for good rather than being influenced. I love this analogy. I've used this before, but everybody is either a thermostat or a thermometer. And we know the difference, right? A thermometer simply reflects the environment. A thermostat sets the environment. A thermostat controls the environment. It sets the agenda. And God says, that's what I want you to do. I want you to go out and I want you to penetrate. I want you to live in society. I want you to live in the world in such a way that the way you live, the way you speak, everything you do is an influence in the world for good. That's a a big task because some of you are in very dark places. Some of you are in very difficult places that for you to to be the light of Christ, you are encountering a lot of darkness. 
But God is with you. He is in you. He's gonna work through you to penetrate that darkness with his glorious light. Philippians chapter two, verse 15 through 16 says, you are to live clean, innocent lives as children of God in a dark world. Shine out among them as beacon lights, holding out to them the word of life. I love the image of that, holding out to them the word of life. The world is looking for people who understand how to live righteously in an unrighteous world. There are people out there that are looking for living examples of people who are living out of their convictions rather than out of their conveniences. And again, none of us do that perfectly. And a lot of times we, we beat ourselves up, but, but we're never called to do that perfectly. Only Jesus did that perfectly. We are called to do that faithfully. And, and when we fail, again, there's that kind, beautiful, grace-filled word, repentance. We repent. We recognize that what we were doing is wrong. We recognize that we're cooperating with the world. We repent of that. We, 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 we forsake that. And then we begin to, to, to live in, in righteous ways. And the world are, is looking for people that are able to acknowledge, you know what, I, I blew that. I made a mistake. I failed there. I'm so sorry. Would you forgive me? Would you allow me the opportunity to make that up, to do that right? First Timothy 4.12 says, be an example to all believers in what you teach and the way you live and your love, your faith, and your purity. Our example can have a penetrating influence on other people. If you've ever studied the parables of Jesus, the stories of Jesus, many of them have to do with this concept of penetration. Jesus says you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Salt penetrates meat. Have you ever tried to get salt out of meat once it penetrates it? It's almost impossible. You are the light of the world. Light penetrates darkness. He says you're your leaven, he says, leaven penetrates the bread. And the point is, God wants us to use our lives to impact and to penetrate this current culture. And again, it's simply by holding out the word of truth. It's living by our example. Let me just kind of uh, close with this Many times, uh, we as Christians kind of want to be able to live the Christian life, and oftentimes we, we, we kind of want to do that the exact opposite way that God calls us to. And again, sometimes we kind of choose to isolate ourselves. And I, I see that a lot, you know, is that we kind of hang with people like us. Um, we, we don't talk to anybody that maybe uh, isn't a part of our, our congregation. I mean, we, we just kind of try to isolate ourselves. You know, we, we try to stay away from the world as much as possible. You know, we become a monk, and we just don't really have contact with the rest of the world. And again, the answer is not, uh, you know, uh, isolation. It's also not imitation. 
It's not like looking at how the world is acting in a particular place and then we kind of act and talk like they do here and then we kind of go over here and say, okay, how does this group act and talk and we kind of imitate that. So it's not by imitation. So it's not isolation, it's not imitation. The solution is insulation and infiltration. I love this analogy. It says if you go out to the ocean and catch a fish that's lived its whole life in the ocean, you take it out, cut it up, fry it up, but before you eat it, you've got to put salt on it, if, if you like salt. And he said if God can keep a fish in a salty ocean all its life without getting salt into the fish, he can keep a believer in a corrupt society without that believer becoming corrupted. Jesus was the example of that. That's called insulation. God is saying you need to insulate yourselves with God's word. And again, it's loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Loving one another as ourselves. It's developing those strong convictions that are a reflection of God's word. And then it's influencing others for good. Paul says we overcome evil by doing good. That's insolation. And so this morning... I just, again, my call to the congregation, my hope, my prayer, because I believe from this everything else will flow. And it's why I started with it, and that is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, to love one another as yourself. If, if we don't do that, I don't care how strong your convictions are. I don't care what all you're doing to influence other people for good. If we're not doing that first step, it will all be for nothing. We have had enough division. We have had enough disunity. It is time for us to come together if on nothing else. We can disagree on everything else, but I'll tell you what, if we'll agree on this one thing, that we as a people, we as a congregation are committed, are steadfast. We are going to do everything within our power to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength to love one another as we love ourselves. You will have strong convictions and you will influence people for good without even trying because it will just be a natural outflow of that love you have for God, the love you have for others, the love you have for yourself. Can we, as a congregation, can we agree that is our vision, that is our heart's cry, that is our pursuit? Can we, as a congregation, say yes and amen to that. And I believe if we will say yes and amen to that, that scripture that says we will begin to see uh, things we've never ever seen before, we will begin to experience uh, things that we never ever thought possible, those things will begin to happen. It will be a natural outflow 
of that. Would you just stand with me? Uh, join me uh, this morning. Father, again, we stand together as an as individuals. We stand together as sons and daughters of the Most High God. We stand together as a body of Christ. And Father, we declare with our hearts here this morning, and I speak on behalf of this congregation, that Father, we are committed, we are pursuing to love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. That God, we will, we will take up the second commandment that is just like it, and we will love others the way we want to be loved, the way we love ourselves. And Father God, I pray, Lord, that you would provide for us the strength, the courage, the boldness to live that out, to pursue that. And God, every time we get off course, every time we lose our way, that God, you would bring us back to the first and to the greatest commandment that we will return to our first love. We will return to loving you, to loving others, and to loving ourselves. And Father, we just trust, we believe, just as the early church experienced when they did that, that God, you moved in just remarkable, incredible, extraordinary ways. And so, Father, we pray, Lord, that you would unite us in heart, in vision, in passion, Lord, to pursue that one thing. And again, Father, we thank you, Lord, that in that, Father, we will shine as lights in a very dark culture, that we will influence, we will be, we will be that witness that you called us to be to all the nations because you are alive, you are living in and through us, just as we were created. And Father, we thank you that you have given us an example through your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the power, the presence of the Holy Spirit that will help us to live that out. And it's in his name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.